Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, you are making a very interesting face. Are you okay? I'm, I'm, I'm great. <laughs> okay, Christian's I'm great. I'm living my best life. Christian, I'm living my best life too, because we are once again joined by friend of the show, Emily Baker. Emily, it is great to have you back. Welcome back to Cinema Drip. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to talk about today's film. How cold is it where you are? Um, it's not cold. It's 70 degrees. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Never mind. I don't live in the mountains, Christian. Because at one point it was like 20 and you were very upset because I was cold and it was like 50. Well, seasons change, you know. (laughs) It's this funny thing. (laughs) Christian, you yourself had some recent chilly experiences. You took a trip to Alaska recently. I went to Anchorage, which was, well, it was in the 40s and it was not that cold for me in the 40s. I I short-sleeved it a couple days. It was beautiful. Short-sleeved it. I love that as a verb. That's (laughs) that's fun. It's good. Like, have you ever been, Emily, have you ever been? To Alaska? No. Highly recommend, especially in um, either April, May, or apparently September. It, oh, man, such good weather. It's, it's slightly expensive food. Not going to lie. Not cheap food, but beautiful, beautiful country. And everyone there owns an airplane. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Some insightful travel advice for those of you looking to go to Anchorage to go along with your movie review because, of course, we are marching on with our 1997 Blend of the Month celebrating the 25th anniversary of Christian Ubius's life, looking at three of the top ten box office hits from that year. We kicked it off with Men in Black, then we took a look at Liar Liar, and now it's time for the big daddy of 97. It's Titanic. We were just chatting about this, about how each of us have different experiences with this movie. Emily, what is your experience with Titanic? As I gathered, it's not the first time that you watch this. Oh, no. I saw this definitely when I was a kid. I don't remember the first time I saw it, but uh, as I just told both of you, my grandmother had this as a VHS set, and it was three separate VHSs, so... I'm sure I watched it in that format. And then I have actually also seen this movie in theaters in 3D. Oh, so The 3D re-release, gotcha. Amazing. Yeah. Christian, yourself. I saw it for the first time last year. Uh, I grew up knowing that it was a big deal. I grew up with my parents having loved Titanic. Very, very big hit in Peru. And... <laughs> Uh, and uh, I mean, I I love and respect James Cameron. There are a couple of movies of his that don't hit with me as much as some others, but he has I think made two perfect movies. So it's it, it it was cool revisiting Titanic. And I myself am the newbie because Titanic was one of my biggest blind spots, quite literally, in that it's a massive movie and one of the most successful movies of all time by any uh, stretch of, <laughs> of measurement there. So watch this for the first time on Monday, and it is Wednesday. So I am fresh, fresh off the boat. Uh, I don't know if I can say that about watching a movie, but <laughs> it's about a boat. My foot's constantly going into my mouth on this beloved podcast. So I'm just going to keep marching on. 
So, Christian, there are obvious reasons why you chose this to be part of the 97 Blend of the Month, but were there any any aspects of the movie that you were looking at more closely this time around? Many people have called Titanic the last actual blockbuster by, by a couple different metrics. As in, it was the late 90s, so movies are big, and they are, they're not necessarily playing for weeks on end, but Titanic played for months. I think it's the first movie to gross over $2 billion. I don't know if it's Titanic or Avatar, but I believe it might be Titanic. It was the biggest box office, well, the biggest um, box office hit of all time at the time, and is still number three. It has Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, who are two of the biggest movie stars and celebrities ever. And it's by a director who has made and been involved with many, many franchises. So not just the Terminator series, not just Aliens, but now Avatar, which Avatar 2 comes out this year, and 3 and 4 are, <laughs> Eventually. are coming out within the next four years, and 5 is in the works, too. So, you know... I thought let's 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 give it up. Let's let's check it out. Let's check out Titanic. Let's give it a whirl. James Cameron, certainly a, a very interesting figure in Hollywood, as you noted, part of many franchises, kicking off a couple, obviously, with the first Terminator and Avatar being creations of his mind, but he also participated in the Alien franchise, and his first movie was a Piranha movie, for those of you who are deep. Piranha cut, too. <laughs> deep the cut horror movie fans. Uh, but this is first <laughs> Okay. I, yes. Have you seen Piranha 2? <laughs> no, I have not. Have you seen the first Piranha? I haven't seen any Piranhas, actually. I haven't seen any Piranhas. I have, I have not caught up with the great Piranha <laughs> franchise myself. <laughs> but even so, from Humble Beginnings, one of Hollywood's biggest filmmakers, obviously Cameron now has made two of the three biggest movies of all time, which is no small feat, obviously. He is is very... I, I don't know if I would say he's unique in Hollywood because obviously there are a lot of directors who make their name in Hollywood making these giant action blockbusters, but he certainly has had some of the most quantifiable success for any filmmaker in in cinema history just with the box office totals the oscar nominations and wins and the ability to take long gaps away from the movies and come back with an absolute vengeance and return to dominating movie theaters so i'm looking forward to diving in with titanic he's a writer director also and the ip that he creates are i mean besides alien sure and besides piranha too I mean, the Terminator sequence, like you said, is from his brain. Avatar is something he came up with. And it's interesting. He's not considered that much of a writer. And we'll, we'll go into that in Titanic, I'm sure. There, there are some interesting lines in Titanic. <laughs> yes, uh, Titanic obviously won 11 Oscars at the ceremony celebrating the, the films of 97, including for his screenplay. I, I It did not. It did not win, okay. It wasn't I, even nominated. Wow. I did my research for this podcast, obviously. I literally just assumed, like, oh yeah, James Cameron won a billion awards for this. So he did win for picture and director. He did not win or even get nominated for his screenplay. A shame on me, listeners, if you're there. Thumbs down for Scott. For he, not I think he also enough. won editing. I think he edited this movie. He, he did. Edited, yes. He participated in the editing of this movie with Conrad Buff the Fourth and Richard A. Harris. Yes, he also won for that. So winning a rare three Oscars for one movie. 
So Christian, obviously there, there is much more to be said about the background info. Anything you want to make sure we share with the listeners as we get into this review proper? Uh, it, well, it's a very young Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. Very young. And this is true. You, I mean, this is probably still the biggest movie for either of them. Kate Winslet, for sure. It, it, like, no offense to her choices in movies, but I, this is the number one movie that comes to mind when I think of her. Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, has made other, I mean, to me, movies that I love. For example, Django and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But, um, Emily, do you have any relationship to either Leonardo DiCaprio or Kate Winslet? And do you like them? Do you enjoy what they've put out? I would say that I'm pretty much in the same boat as you when it comes to Kate Winslet. I honestly, like, nothing against her. I just can't think of anything else she's been in off the top of my head. But when it comes to Leo, of course, like, I I think of, like, Shutter Island and Romeo and Juliet. Like, I've definitely seen a lot of his other stuff. Yeah, the two of them come into this movie at very interesting places in their career where Kate Winslet is fresh off her first Oscar nomination for Sense and Sensibility, and Leo is coming in hot. He's had a few successes at the movie. Romeo as well. plus Juliet. Romeo plus Juliet, <laughs> yes. Sorry, <laughs> And this movie, of course, launches them into the stratosphere where Kate Winslet picks up another Oscar nomination for this movie and then goes on to a long and successful career in Hollywood. And Leo becomes arguably the biggest movie star of the last 25 years or so because of this movie. He is one of the most recognizable Hollywood faces when when it just comes to discussing movies. And he also hasn't really done anything to torpedo his career. He's not made too many flops He's been really consistent in the kinds of movies that he makes. And He's very out. careful with what he chooses to do and who he chooses to work with. Right. And so not only being a fan of, of both of them, really, but especially of Leo DiCaprio. I can't believe I hadn't seen Titanic up to this point. So I'm glad that I've finally gotten to see the movie that made them. They were already stars in the making, but made them mega movie stars and sealed that in Hollywood lore. Uh, are we ready for our opening question? Christian, I'm ready. Emily, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go for it. Titanic is known as spectacle and an epic romance. Loved by critics and audiences at the time, and honestly still now. Uh, and it's considered an achievement for James Cameron and for everyone involved in it. You can't really get bigger and better than Titanic. So what was the bigger achievement and, and I'm only giving you two options, so if you have another one, please uh, say it. The boat sinking or the romance between Jack and Rose? Emily, you're our guest. I'll, I'll leave it to you. What, what stands out to you? So I think for me, I mean, they're both obviously really powerful, but honestly, I probably would go boat sinking because, I mean, I just love disaster movies in general, so like that is obviously going to pull me in. But just thinking about the movie, and I hadn't seen it in a while before I rewatched it for for our podcast here, but uh, the shots where you just see the boat, like, slowly sinking into the water, they just, like, really got me, because it just the way that they did that with how, when it first hit the iceberg, people were like, oh, nothing's wrong, everything's fine, it's chill, and then it's like, eventually you cut away, and you see how this boat is sinking, and it's like, it's really coming. I don't know. It's just that I think is more impactful for me. 
I mean, I don't even know what to say because normally I'm the big capital F filmmaking guy on this show where I'm the one who's who's going to bat for, for cinematography <laughs> and, and for editing and for design and, and effort put in. And the effort in put into this movie is just extraordinary. And it was made at a perfect time for a movie like this where you get a... There's some moments where the VFX have obviously aged a little bit, the CGI, but still where the CGI is modernized enough that it can be used effectively, but also hasn't completely taken over the movie like it would in the 2000s. And yet the romance at the heart of this movie is so incredible. <laughs> it's why this movie works and why it's remembered the way it is. Because when people think about this movie, they think about Leo and Kate. They think about Jack and Rose. And I mean, even all the memes that have come out of this movie, so much of them are about those two and their relationship. So... I, I'm hard-pressed to choose between the two, but I have to say, I, I just think it's the romance at the center of this movie, because without it, it doesn't become the cultural phenomenon that it does. Oscar-nominated movie? Absolutely. Blockbuster and, you know, big success at the box office? Absolutely. But does it become this phenomenon that takes over movie theaters for months on end and gets teenage girls going to the movies re for repeat viewing after repeat viewing and gets Celine Dion and Oscar and Grammys and all kinds of other exposure? Who knows? So I gotta say, I'm going with I'm going with Jack and Rose. I'm, I it's it's rare that we have a movie like a rom com where we remember the names of both main characters, and and, and I I didn't know this notice that until recently, but we know Jack and Rose. Many other rom coms that we love, for example, I love The Big Sick. I can't remember. I mean, yeah, Kumail because his <laughs> name is the same, but I don't. And remember. Emily because it's the same as his wife. There we oh, go. Never mind then. Cool. Check but that I, box. I, I don't. I just don't remember people's names necessarily in movies. When Harry met Sally. Harry it's, and Sally. <laughs> boom. Two. Two boxes check. <laughs> Okay, you can't do it if it's in the title or if it's their actual names. Okay, but... All right. All right. <laughs> to an extent, I know what you mean. You know what I mean. I'm just teasing you. I'm going with the filmmaking. The boat sinking is incredible. Now, the boat sinking would not be as good without the romance because you are tied to these two characters and how they're trying to escape the water. And, and don't end up escaping the water. <laughs> but I, it's, it's, I, I, I know that I have been told how this movie was filmed using like giant aquariums filled with water. I have no freaking clue how Cameron made this. Like, like I, 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 I can understand it to an extent into an intellectual level, but I can't. It's honestly, like, incredible, because I, like, you touched on the effects, Scott, but, like, I really didn't even notice any obvious, like, 1997 CGI. It was just like, this looks great. This is beautiful. Was this made last year? I don't know. It's so good. And it's it's small things, because, you know, it's it's being nitpicky. It's it's like... The dolphins. Are you upset at the dolphins? I'm not real. I'm not upset about the dolphins, but there are moments <laughs> where, you know, where Leo's standing up there, and he's the king of the world, and you can tell he's obviously standing up against, you know, blue screen or green screen or, or something like that, but yeah, it's it's that kind of stuff that's like, why would you get hung up on <laughs> those things that the effects really have aged mostly well? And sure, there's some... 90s-ishness to it where you can pick out the moments where they're shooting against a green screen but even so the practical effects and everything that Cameron pulls off in camera or using sets props and real you know mechanisms behind the scenes 
It's incredible, especially as we get into the actual disaster and this ship starts falling apart and water starts rushing in and filling the room and people are in danger. Some of that stuff is just incredible to watch. And from a disaster action movie standpoint, it's impressive enough, let alone the fact that we have this massive romantic epic that is buried at the center. All right. Um, I'm going to introduce just an idea. So I wanted to talk about the plot a little bit and one specific part of the plot, and then I'm going to throw it over to you guys to take that wherever you will. So the story of the Titanic, you know, is about the unsinkable ship from 1914, and it is presented first in modern day with Gloria Stewart playing an old Rose, uh, noticing or watching on the news that they have discovered the remains of the Titanic and then calling them because she knows what they're looking for. They're looking for a diamond that was present there. They fly her out because she's one of the few surviving members of the Titanic. Uh, and when they fly her over there, because they want to get to the diamond and know where it is, she starts recounting what it was to set foot on that ship for the first time. I want to know how that alternating timeline works for you all, but I'm going to pick out a specific moment. When she talks with them about the Titanic and how it sunk, they show through, um, it's like a computer simulation of what would have happened where it hits the iceberg. And by the way, it hits the iceberg at a side. And I think that the common misconception is that it rammed into an iceberg and it automatically started sinking. No, it hits it in the side and where it hit it, water started to go into it and fill it. And then it started slowly and then quickly to sink. So it shows that simulation and then we have that in our mind and then we see that unfold in the past. Now, I thought that was amazing because when the water first starts building this ship, when the iceberg, when it hits the iceberg, I'm like, I know how this is going to go down, but how is it going to look? Oh my goodness, to know that the ship is going to break apart, that the water is filling up, that the top is going to go up and like slam down and then go up again is incredible. Like that in and of itself is a great screenwriting trick, but throwing it over to you guys to see how you felt about the two timelines and honestly that part in particular, if you had thoughts about it. I was going to say that... <laughs> That was a, a particular trick that I actually really admired, because in the moment, it seems super cheesy. You're sitting there asking why the scientist is modeling the crash of the Titanic to somebody who survived it, as if it's rubbing in this tragedy that she had to live through. But what it's doing is setting us up as the audience. It's setting us up to understand what's going to happen later in the movie, because we all know the Titanic sank. And like you said, Christian, it, it takes away the questions of, oh, is it going to ram an iceberg head on? How's the iceberg going to hit it? What's going to happen when there's these tiny holes? Like, and water starts coming in. But then it also gets you nervous thinking, oh no, when's the boat going to fully tip under? And, and I don't know my, my boat language, but the bow goes underwater. And oh, what's gonna, when is it going to split in half? When are they going to have to hold on? And it makes you think about those moments because you know what's coming. And it just reminds me of that old Hitchcock concept where he's talking about suspense and it's, he says it's better to tell the audience there's a bomb in the room, but not your characters, as opposed to your characters knowing there's a bomb in the room and they have to try to stop it because the audience gets concerned, more concerned than if the characters knew and they're trying to watch them defuse it. The audience is concerned the bomb is going to go off. And so for us, we know that the ship is going to break apart. It's going to dip underwater, break in half, start to sink, and we just start 
feeling the suspense of when exactly those things are going to happen and what Jack and Rose are going to have to do to survive it. Emily, did you, what did you think about that moment? Yeah, I agree with both of you. I thought it was just, it was a really good device and just the way it, you see it kind of, uh, oh, I can't even think of the word I was going to use, but like just in such a removed way and then you're put in the situation with these characters and just having that divide, but knowing what's going to happen. I mean, having seen this movie many times before, I w- it was still just like, it got my heart racing and I was sitting there like biting my nails. Like it's, it's an intense movie, even though you know what's going to happen. So it's definitely a really good device. I agree. Were there any other aspects of the, the multiple timelines that worked or did not work? For the two of you because I didn't realize that it takes 20 minutes until we go back to the past and meet Jack and Rose for the first time it, it's it's a lot of movie to get through before we get to meet the main characters really so I I, I think some parts of the multiple timelines work and some don't work necessarily as well but I'm curious what the two of you think about that yeah I I think the framing device is definitely necessary we need the two timelines it does become a bit like taking you out of the story when you're going back to that 1997 timeline I suppose it is but it it's really I think important for Rose's character to have that framing narrative uh, I don't know what do you think Christian I I mean I he starts off with a shot of this um underwater I, I'm not even sure like machine like scavenging robot thing uh, and a submarine and the idea behind that you go in and you're expecting to see a movie called Titanic you're expecting to be in 1914 but you're pulled in from this and I actually think it piques your intrigue as to why is it that we're starting with the wreckage of the Titanic and how long until we get to the past I'm a big fan of looking at all of these sides because obviously like the modern time is not as important as what's happening in the past but the modern time is there just enough to make the past more interesting as we're waiting for everything to unfold. Yeah, I, I think it serves that effect mostly. And and it's hard with a movie this long, three hours and 15 minutes, to uh, avoid feeling that certain sections of the movie are padded or bloated. And if you were to take out that timeline, obviously, this movie would be a lot shorter, but I don't necessarily think the whole thing would be stronger. And so I think it's just a trade-off a little bit. You get a longer movie, of course, but you also do get the future present-day timeline that is adding some context into the past. And I think there are moments, too, like that scene where they're showing how the Titanic scientifically broke apart, where Cameron is also setting us up as audience members. There's another moment where <laughs> something sad has happened. It might be after, uh, of course, because we all know, sorry for the spoiler alert, 25 years, that Jack dies, obviously. And it might be after oh, that. Oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> Ruin the movie! Ruin the movie! We flash forward, and <laughs> we see the crowd of scientists and Rose's granddaughter, and everyone kind of gathered around, and literally everybody is crying. Like, all of these grumpy middle-aged dudes (laughs) single tears rolling down their cheeks thinking about the story which of course that's exactly where Cameron wants us to be in that moment he wants us to be in our feelings (laughs) and crying as we know that this couple will not get to be together and only Rose will survive but it's stuff like that that it's a little bit of a cheat but it's also effective and I I can't help but enjoy it what did we think let's move on to this because this is very important what did we think about Jack and Rose 
Leo and Kate. Leo and Kate, baby. It's it's the poster. It's the movie poster. It's what allows us to care and feel for the movie. What are our thoughts on the romance? I kind of gave mine already. I, I think it works tremendously. So I'm curious to hear if you two have any uh, contradictions to that. I don't think I do, actually. I, I was very pulled in by it. I think they worked really, really well together. I really believed in the romance. And I know like people will say, oh, they met a day before the boat sank and they are in love forever. What? <laughs> I, I think the movie just draws you in so much and you just really believe in their romance. Like, it, it just feels really real. It's also... And I say this not at all as, like, a negative. It's a cliche story. Like, it's a very basic storyline. I mean, girl runs into boy. Rich, rich girl runs into poor boy. Rich Even. girl runs into poor boy. <laughs> yeah. And they and it's love at first sight. And it's, it's so basic, so cliche. Like, I don't really know what the word old-fashioned means, which people have referred to this movie as being old-fashioned. But this is a very old-fashioned, like, epic history romance novel type of love. It, it's, it's not complicated. It's just that they know they're right for each other, and therefore they're going to go for it. Right. And Emily, you, you brought up that common criticism from titanic haters that these two meet for a couple days and then rose is hung up on him for 84 years <laughs> has a whole nother family in between which to some extent yes obviously that's a little weird but to another extent have you ever watched a movie <laughs> like for people who want exactly. to actually like get angry about that it's we got to suspend our disbelief folks <laughs> yeah and thinking about like the ending where she basically goes to Titanic heaven. Yes. Yeah. Like, and it's like, oh, the rest of her family doesn't exist, I guess. But like in the in the movie, that's what you're attached to. That's what you want to see. You didn't meet the rest of her family that she had in the other 84 years of her life. You met Jack and you saw their epic romance over these like three days and you want them to be in Titanic heaven together. Like that's what we want. Titanic heaven is such a... a brilliant way of describing it because of course not only is it a recreation of a shot from earlier in the movie where she goes to meet him at at this clock that's in the dining area for the first class passengers but people who died on the titanic are all gathered around (laughs) even like minor characters it was just kind of it was it was this very sweet and and swooning ending but also made me laugh because i'm like this is just some rich guy that died on the titanic but her husband's not gonna be there but maybe he's another part of heaven they'll leave titanic heaven and go to normal people heaven and no 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 her her husband doesn't doesn't really exist anymore now Poor guy. Poor guy. Uh, look, she does not care about her husband. Let, let's get. Let's. She. She never told her husband about Jack. Like she admits, she's like not. E- not even your grandfather's. What she tells her granddaughter. Oh. No one knows about Jack, which is so weird. That poor guy. He had so many moments for just decades of marriage where he's putting his all into this thing, making it work, raising kids, and he catch her looking out the window, just listless look on her face. Rose, is everything okay? I'm fine. <laughs> But but this this isn't realism. Like this movie no. isn't about realism. James Cameron has never been about realism, <laughs> but which is also kind of awesome. I mean, um, Emily, what is your familiarity with like the rest of James Cameron's movies? Are you generally a fan, or are you like hot and cold on him? I would 
say I'm a pretty big Terminator fan. Uh, when it comes to the rest of his movies, I mean, I'm so-so on Avatar. That one, I will say, I cannot sit through the whole movie. I can sit through Titanic, cannot sit through Avatar. So. <laughs> uh, Scott, what about you on James Cameron? Yeah, I... I tend to be a fan of his, although I am only a greatest hits person because I've seen now Titanic and of course seen Avatar and Terminator uh, as well as Terminator 2, but I have not seen any movies from the Alien franchise, so I've crossed off one major blind spot by getting to Titanic and perhaps Alien and Aliens will be next. Um, and I haven't seen any of his others, True Lies, The Abyss, Piranha 2, <laughs> so I do consider myself a fan of his. I am looking forward to the Avatar movies. I am a much bigger fan of Avatar than Emily, it sounds like, although I am sent, like, I try to be aware of the critiques of it now that I'm not, uh, however old I was, 14-year-old boy when I was seeing that in theaters, but I am aware of the imperfections of that movie, and I also kind of can't resist it, so I tend to be on the fan side of the aisle for Cameron. And it's, it's, I'm, uh, I'm of the opinion normally that if you can see it on a big screen, like, yes, go see it on a big screen, but you, like a movie should be able to survive on the small screen as well. Uh, th- I, I mean, James Cameron is someone who like, it explodes off of my TV. Like when I, when I saw Terminator 2, when I saw Titanic on my TV, it, it, it like, it felt too small, which kind of made it epic also, but he, he goes for these grand sweeping ideas and not just directing, but these incredible visions of, of either romance or like the apocalypse or war. And so with that, I did want to end our discussion by talking about the boat scene, about the sinking of the boat, but more than that for you all to pick out what you thought was most impressive to watch. Because um, there, it, there are many things going on there. And it looks like all of us here are fans of this movie and very big fans of what he managed to do in crashing the Titanic. And so um, I just want to kick it off by presenting the, the, what is it? There's the scene where, I'm not going to pick one that you all might pick, but when the, it's almost like part of the boat, not the full thing, rises up and then comes crashing down. And all of, you just see all of the people who have swum under it look up in terror. And then it crashes. And you know they're gone. So it, it and it's terrifying. You're like, what the frick just happened? Because you're watching everyone go about terrified, but there's no villain. It's it's just well I mean there technically is a villain but like the boat is sinking they can't fight that. What were um what were some of the things that impressed you all the most about this this part of the movie? Well, I kind of touched on earlier just those uh, shots we get of the boat just like slowly getting like deeper into the water and it's just it's, like slowly happening. But I just uh, I just thought about the moment where. It, uh, the captain goes into the front of the boat and uh, when it's just sinking underwater and then he's just in there alone. He's completely underwater and you know he can't get out now. He's stuck in there and you just have to sit with him in this moment where he's just waiting for that glass to crack and the water to come swarming in. And that moment is just, it's pretty heavy. Like <laughs> that's a, that's an intense moment. I don't know. I, yeah, it, 
that really got me when I was just like, wow, he just walked in there and now he's, he's totally trapped and that water's just going to come crashing in on him. It, it was a, it was weird to sit with, I guess. That was the moment that I was going to pick out. <laughs> so I'm so oh, glad I'm that you brought it up. No, don't be sorry. Cause it's such a great moment. And I think too, one of the other strengths of Titanic is that there's a pretty large supporting cast, not a lot of whom are playing full characters with internal worlds of their own, but people who are played by recognizable faces, actors that you like, and they do get, they each get these little moments, and Bernard Hill is the actor they're playing, Captain Smith, who some people will probably recognize from the Lord of the Rings movies, and he gets this one moment of great acting as he sits alone in the, you know, by the wheel of the ship where I, I, I was trying to find the right word to say it. the captain's room is probably not what it's called, but he's sitting by the wheel and has to watch as doom comes for him. And it's this guy whose final voyage before retirement is the Titanic. It's supposed to be the triumph of his life. And obviously tragedy struck. And there's a lot of little moments like that, whether it's that the old couple who is on their bed together as the water is rising in their room or uh, the Guggenheim, old Guggenheim guy, I forget his first name, but he he and his son choose to have a brandy while they know that they're not going to make it off because the boats are prioritizing women and children. And even uh, Victor Garber plays Andrews, who was one of the key architects for the Titanic, gets this moment despondent, alone, just fiddling with a clock and <laughs> realizing that this the pride and joy, the crowning achievement of his life is going to mean his own death. And again, tragedy for thousands of people. There are a lot of these rich little moments mixed in with the destruction of the ship that make it so effective. It's not just this stupendous, incredible feat of filmmaking. There's also a lot of character moments and character touches packed in. So those are a few of the moments that stood out to me and and of course you know there are some of those big moments like when people are falling off the ship as it's going vertical and they're losing their grip and falling to crash down into the sea pretty terrifying stuff too so just so many little moments that i couldn't pick just one do you remember what the actor's name or the character's name who um was the one that designed the ship that was andrews yeah, yeah. victor victor garber i'll i'll get his full name for you but the the was it there, there was this point where um i don't who was it it was like a newspaper person who they're talking about how the the ship is sinking and he wanted to make sure the titanic made headlines and he says but this boat can't sink and andrew says it's made of iron i assure you it can right. and it will and that line just kind of chills you and hangs over you as the rest of the movie's going uh there <laughs> I'm not going to lie, like, the the more I watch this movie, I've seen it twice, but even in the second time, I'm like, th these death scenes are kind of epic. And there's this point where this man falls from the very top of the ship. At, well, not when the ship has, like, pointed up as it's sinking and being pulled underwater. This man falls and hits the rudder and then, like, spirals oh. faster into the ocean. Yeah. There's multiple moments I like that. never because I told you I saw this movie, or I saw this movie when I was a kid, and that scene, or just that moment, sticks with me. I'm like, oh my god, to fall off into the water and to hit the rudder. That's, that's awful. Just brutal, brutal stuff. It's funny. Let's be honest. Oh my it's, god, it's really funny, Christian. Okay, well, it, it terrified me as a child, Christian, but it's super funny. 
Okay, something we have to get to here. We have not talked about this person at all, and he's arguably the third most important person in the movie. It's Billy Zane, who's playing Cal Hockley, who is the fiancé for Rose. He's the, the jerky rich dude who has come aboard the I just don't ship. care about him. <laughs> I just don't care at all that he's in this movie. But you're, like you were saying a bit ago, there's no villain, but you said, well, there kind of is. And he is the villain, of course. He's trying to get in the way of Jack and Rose, which, fair, he's engaged to Rose. But <laughs> he's such a, a bad dude and provides a more human point of conflict for the characters. And I know Billy Zane is someone who, this is the peak of his career. He's in Titanic and he's king of the world with Leo for a second. And then uh, Leo DiCaprio goes on to be one of the biggest movie stars ever. And Billy Zane is no longer a recognizable household name, but I kind of dig him in this movie. <laughs> Christian, even though you don't like him, he's so hateable and just got a punchable face and he plays that rich snob so well. Ah, love it. Emily, do you have any Billy Zane thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I like Billy Zane. I honestly can't think of anything else he's in, but like I know I've seen stuff with him and I just always find him like a joy to see on screen. So uh, yeah, I and obviously you hate him in this movie, but I still... I. I enjoy like him being in the film. So. I okay, he he's fine. He's there, but it's the the idea. And when I say I don't, I, I don't care about him. It's this idea that we talked about when we discussed um, Frick. What's what's that movie that you like that I thought was just was, was like unimportant? All of them? No, 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 no. The 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 Kubrick one. <laughs> Barry Lyndon? Barry Lyndon, where at the very end, you know how it says all of these people are now dead? Yes. Whether you were rich or poor on the Titanic, you sank. And that's why I I like that he is in this movie, but him being rich and a villain did not stop him from sinking. I mean, yes, he survived. But did not, <laughs> look, look, look. He survived, yes, but it did not stop him from still being within the crash. Tons of rich people died in this movie. Tons... Probably more of poor people died in this movie. And that's like this romance, it's trying to survive against nature. <laughs> right. They're, they're, the people represent the, you know, the, the romance against the class tensions. Because, of course, she's a first class gal and he's a third class laddie. And they're trying to make it work, even though they met a minute ago. But there also then, of course, becomes the romance against nature, like you're saying, where they have to try to survive this crash so they can even have a chance at a life together and a chance to be together. So all, all sorts of great conflict from our guy Jim Cameron. And I, I wanted to make sure we could talk about Billy Zane because we didn't get to him. Shout out Kathy Bates too, the unsinkable Molly Brown. Got a couple great scenes. <laughs> Good job. I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring, I'm, I'm, I have only one last thing to ask of you all. And then if you want to bring up what you disliked about this movie, you you may, but th this to me is basically a perfect movie. Like, I love this movie so much. Um, was there space on the raft for Leo? <laughs> no, Christian, why you ask that? Okay. So I'm coming to this this film with fresh eyes. I was aware of the meme, but I was not aware of the, of the movie, you know, and... There is a moment where they're getting on this piece of debris and Rose climbs aboard and then Jack tries to get on and in his efforts to get on, the thing almost tips over and it would have, you know, flipped and she would have fallen back in the water. And I, I said to myself, okay, Cameron, you tried, you tried to get him on there. You gave him one good shot and he didn't make it. And so Jack tries to not to get on so it doesn't flip and Rose falls in the water. 
I get it. So, you know, maybe he technically could have fit if he could get up there, but he couldn't climb on without flipping it and causing her to sink and putting her in further danger. So I'm cool with it. Even though I wish he survived, I'm cool with it. Emily? I uh, have actually changed my mind now upon rewatch. I agree with Scott. I used to think that Jack could fit, but now I have to, I think about this the context of this. We have that moment, as Scott just said, where he tries to get on, and it, you know he almost flips it. But you also got to think, they've just been like running around this ship trying to escape this water, trying to like survive before this. They are exhausted. They are freezing. Like... He, he doesn't have it in him to keep trying to get on there. And then, like, there's just not enough effort. He can't do it. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's in freezing cold water. It, it's just too hard. <laughs> okay, so my answer is going to surprise you all. Oh. No, 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 no. But but I, I agree with you in, in that he shouldn't have tried, and this is why. I do think there was space on this raft. But the thing is, if they had both gone on this raft, it would have sunk slightly lower and water would have seeped on top. Yeah. And even though it still would have floated, the freezing water is what's killing these people now. It's no longer the ship. It's the temperature of the water. The reason Kate survived was because she was able to be somewhat above that and therefore it didn't, you know, freeze her to death like it did the others. Right. The sad thing is it, it seems like just historically that more people would have survived the, the wreck if... It was during the day, and it wasn't at night when the temp water temperature was so low and so freezing. Kind of kind of depressing, because, of course, tons of people survive the actual sinking of the ship, and then they all freeze to death, which gives a pretty haunting image as the some of the surviving uh, sailors come looking for survivors in this just area filled with floating dead bodies. It's a kind of a chilling image, and, of course... Rose comes out of there, but... Also, there were only lifeboats for less than half of the people because they rushed the building of this so that they could just have a big ship that they could get to the U.S. and get headlines for. Yes. I don't I don't know James Cameron's politics, but there's some, some quiet... Uh, what's the word? Some quiet arguments against capitalism. Because <laughs> he alleges the reason this happens is because there's not enough... The lifeboats, no, but that's, that's real, though. It is real. Of course it's real. And because the uh, Ismay, who's the, he's like the director of the the cruise, I suppose you could call it, he gets the captain to increase the speed and go faster because he wants to make headlines, like you mentioned, Christian. He wants to get there early so they can say not only is it the most amazing ship in all the land, it's also the fastest. Wow. So there's all these little moments. And of course, all the rich, all the rich people are terrible, except for Rose and Molly Brown. So <laughs> there's all these critiques, too, of the, the ruling class. And with, you know, Avatar, among Cameron's other films, which is very ecologically minded, you know, for all of its other problems. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it stands up with his other his other opinions, it seems. Um, fun fact about this movie, James Cameron submerged on the water because he's a professional scuba diver to, to see the Titanic's wreckage and spent more time in the Titanic than the people who were on the cruise itself. Yes. Some of the, the footage from the movie is him going down in these submersibles with an actual research crew and recording footage. And, yeah, incredible. He spent more time with the boat than the people who booked a ticket. Um, is there anything left to say from you all? I will say, I got one major problem I need to discuss. Emily, I wanna, I'm want i going to get heated about this. So, Emily, I need to know, is there any final thoughts that you have that you need to clear out first before I, I go crazy? 
No, I after rewatching it, I I'm a huge fan of this movie. Like Christian, I I think it's wonderful. <laughs> like I I don't think I have any problems with it. Like. Yeah, okay. So go ahead. So ruin our fun. Let it be said. I'm also a huge fan of this movie. Can't believe I just watched it for the first time on a random Monday night in April. Anyway, so we get to the end of this movie, and the the research crew is looking for the heart of the sea. It's this incredible diamond necklace that, if they find it, of course, it's it's a historical artifact, but it's also worth millions upon millions of dollars. And we are, we know that Rose has it, of course, because when we see her at the beginning of the movie, she's wearing this big bulky necklace that's clearly carrying something in it. Like, ooh, what could it be? And then we see in the movie that Cal gives it to her, of course, and then even once he takes it back, it, he slips it into his jacket pocket, which he puts on her. And so he's like, it's going to make it off because she's going to make it off. She's going on the boats with the women and children. And then, of course... Through all of her adventures with Jack, she manages to keep it in the dang jacket pocket, and it survives with her as she gets rescued at the end of this movie. The necklace, worth millions of dollars, and a historical artifact makes it to 1997, and she's sitting in front of this crew of people who are spending every single day recovering artifacts trying to find it. And we see at the end of this movie that 100-year-old Rose totters out onto the deck of the ship in the middle of the night, pulls out the necklace, because of course she has it, and throws it into the damn sea. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Not only is there this crew of people who are desperate to find this thing, but she's got her own granddaughter sitting right there. And if my grandmother threw away a, a priceless artifact that would have set me and my family up for generations, I would have pushed her into the ocean after it. So good gracious. I understand the thematic point here. And this is absolutely a nitpick because this is at like our three minute 12 of a three hour 15 minute movie well there's credits so little earlier but still so not actually a problem that sinks the movie but can i just say that was absurd i have some problems with rose's judgment here folks emily so i will say my one problem which is i'm going off on a bit of a tangent but uh when she tells the story like them we're supposed to assume she's telling the story that we're seeing and in the story that we're seeing we know she has the necklace in her pocket but then that's not the story that they're hearing i don't know that's a little like (laughs) even more nitpicky but i will say i'm fine with the thematic like (laughs) like it's it's fine with me like we they don't need to have it it's rose needs to throw that away for the ending of her story for that you know, the abusive man that she almost got married to and everything that's tied in with that necklace. We got to get rid of it. They don't need it anyway. This is an anti-capitalist movie. We got to throw the necklace in the ocean. Emily, calling out my the very political statements I just made five minutes ago. You understand that the heart of the ocean isn't real, right? <laughs> like in the real world where I live? Yes. Yes. So you're you're mad that she didn't set up her fictional grandchildren, Christian, with fictional money. Absolutely, yes, I am. Come on, what what are we talking about here? Give it to give it to Bill it's, Paxton. It's Come on, so unimportant. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the movie doesn't. Christian, I, I've Bill devoted. Bill will be fine. He'll get by. Bill will bounce back. I've devoted so many hours of my life into getting invested in the foibles of fictional people, 
And even when we're recreating real events or, you know, historical fiction, I, I like to I like to care about the people at the center of the frame. And poor, poor granddaughter who brings her 100-year-old granny and all her luggage onto this boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean can't, can't get the necklace. Can't get the necklace to make a little coin off the adventure. Like, she had to listen to the whole story about how her grandma's like, hey, I totally had amazing, incredible sex with this guy who wasn't your grandpa on once. the Titanic. They had sex once. <laughs> Let me describe it in vivid detail. Like hard for money. Like, did you see the way Rose was traveling? Like, she brought her fish in a bowl with her. That, that's, I think yes. she's doing okay without that money and i think her family will be fine <laughs> i i'm gonna say another thing that's a nitpick someone has that i just think is hilarious when you notice it when you look at the pictures that rose has next to her they're all pictures only of her <laughs> not of her family like there's pictures of her like doing equestrian stuff and flying and i don't know just being rose there's no husband or granddaughter or other children <laughs> That's fine though, Christian, because remember, in this movie, we don't care about her family. Oh, <laughs> there it is. No, no, no. And I'm just developed. saying, it's really funny if you look at it that way. It is. And I think, I, you know, like I said, The Heart of the Ocean doesn't actually sink my feelings about this movie, even if it makes me angry. And it's just that this a movie this big and this fun is fun to nitpick. When you're as invested in it as it sounds like we all are, we're all huge fans of the movie, it's fun to find the little inconsistencies, and it's not worth getting hung up on these itty-bitty, teeny-tiny plot holes. We're in it for the disaster, we're in it for the epic romance, and for the, the glorious filmmaking that's making it all happen. So I, that's just, I'm just having fun. Like I, it's fun to point out those things that, that tick you off, but it doesn't sink the movie. This is absolutely an incredible triumph. And I'm glad that I was finally forced to watch it for my, for my beloved podcast here. So thank you, Christian. All right. Um, should we, should we do hint first or awards first? We'll do our awards, Christian. So, of course, if you are looking to catch up with Titanic and you have not rewatched it in some time or you're like me and need to see it for the first time, it is streaming on Amazon Prime and you can also rent it literally anywhere. You can probably borrow it from the library. You can easily buy it yourself on DVD or Blu-ray and maybe you can find that three three tape VHS set, perhaps. Maybe Emily's grandma can hook it up. Uh, yes, but there's a million ways to watch Titanic. You should check it out. So, of course, we like to wrap up our blends of the month with our awards as we look back at the three movies we watched and pick out some favorites and nominate and award some bests. So, Christian, this is your month. I turn it over to you for the categories. The, we're going to start with best performance out of the three movies. Emily, you have also seen Men in Black and Liar, Liar, and Titanic. Yes, I have. So, of those three, Emily, let's start with you. Who was your favorite performance? Oh, honestly, I, I think I got to give it to to Kate Winslet in Titanic. I just, ah. I mean, she carries that movie, but that's just because my opinions on the other movies aren't very high to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Not a Men in Black fan? I understand Liar Liar, but... <laughs> I just, I got to be honest, I watched Men in Black and I was like, wow, this movie's just so mad to me. I just don't care about it. <laughs> Well, Emily, I'm not going to travel too far away from you because I'm going Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. 
Although he, of course, did not make it out of this movie with an Oscar nomination like she did. I think that the two of them are so key to, obviously, the success of that movie. And he's just given an incredible movie star performance at such a young age, commands the screen, and is both swooningly romantic and gets to these heroic action moments and can command a room uh there's a scene we didn't even get to in that movie but the dinner table conversation where he's invited to first class dinner and he just gets to play off all of those you know the, the rich folks who are trying to talk down to him and does it with with poise and with grace he is just so good in that movie and obviously for in my mind kate winslow's not very far behind but leo was was my guy he stood out to me the most i'm gonna i was torn between kate winslet and will smith but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Kate Winslet. She she has some of the most melodramatic lines. It's amazing. <laughs> it is incredible. Like when she meet when Jack meets her, she's trying to commit suicide by jumping off the boat, but she's not actually. She's just trying to pretend she's gonna do Oh, it's incredible. Uh, it, it's 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 great. Um Okay, given how we expressed the, these next two questions, I know what the winners are gonna be then. Which one of these three movies had the best concept that it wanted to bring to life? Whether Men in Black, that aliens live among us and there's a secret organization that keeps them and the humans at bay. Or uh, Liar Liar, where a man who lies has to tell the truth for a day. Or Titanic, where a boat sinks. <laughs> and other stuff happens. <laughs> uh, Scott, let's start with you. You know, I, I'm torn because Liar Liar is obviously an original idea. Titanic is what if, you know, Romeo and Juliet happened, but on the Titanic. So it's a little historical fiction. And Men in Black is an adaptation of comic books. So three distinct ways of creating a movie. But I got to say, if we're going to ignore the point of Genesis for all of these stories, government agency keeping, keeping aliens in at bay on Earth Easy win. Easy win for best concept. I'm going with Men in Black. Um, I like the boat sinking. <laughs> I like Titanic. <laughs> um, Emily, what about you? Um, I also like the boat sinking, but I would like to expand on it because it's not just boat sinking, Christian. Um, it's an incredible, like, it's this historical, like, uh, period piece and also um, a major catastrophe and also an epic romance like to bring that all to life in one is just beautiful all right and obviously we end with what is the best picture out of the three do we really need to discuss this <laughs> say it on three everybody one two three titanic, titanic. Oh my goodness, it is heads and tails about above these other movies. Yeah, I I will say I like Men in Black quite I a like bit. I like Men in Black. It's the only movie I had actually seen before, and returning to it was really fun. I wasn't the biggest fan of Liar Liar, but Titanic is just incredible. So <laughs> it is, that was, say, yeah, an easy I race. Liar Liar, I didn't laugh once. So, <laughs> um. You didn't laugh at the movie either? No, I just uh, don't like Jim Carrey's really physical overacting. Like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not for me. Emily and Christian, you guys are arm in arm. You're in league when it comes to Jim Carrey. <laughs> but, Christian, anything else you want to add about Titanic, especially as it relates to the others we watched this month? Um, it's, I, I, I'm glad that it's the highest grossing movie of 1997. 
I'm stoked about that. Um, and uh, we will, like, here, here's the thing. This is just a, a prelude. We're going to announce this later on in this episode, too, that next week we're talking about our top five movies of 1997. It's hard, you know, trying to find a movie that beats Titanic for me this year. <laughs> well, there you go. A little little spoiler alert for next week's episode. But, Christian, let's just speak on it while you bring it up. Of course, we have been doing something a little bit different this year in the great year 2022. And we're ending each month looking at a sort of bonus episode. So sometimes that's a top five list. Sometimes it's looking at an Oscars retrospective. And as Christian just mentioned, 97 will be a top five list. So, Christian, how has your uh, researching been? And by researching, I mean extensive movie watching. <laughs> have you been fitting in lots of 97 movies? I've seen a couple of movies for the first time and some that I just don't understand. Like As You Like It, which is the the Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt movie. That's a weird That's movie. as good as it gets. As good as it gets. <laughs> as good as it gets. As You Like It is Shakespeare. <laughs> Never mind. Yep, it definitely is. As good as it gets is a weird movie, but it's it's interesting. Even looking at movies like Fifth Element came out this year. So wait, Emily, are you a Fifth Element fan? I haven't rewatched it in so long, so I can't say that I am. But I think upon a rewatch, I probably would be. Okay, I'm in the same spot. I remember quite liking it, and I would like to rewatch it before we record next week's episode. So stay tuned. But I'm a fan as well. Also, like Tarantino's probably subtlest movie. Jackie Brown came out this year, so it's it's a weird year for movies, and and there are a ton that I like. Yeah, just looking at the the letterboxed page for 1997, there's a ton of great movies, or at least even if I haven't seen them, movies that have a good reputation 25 years on that are still talked about, written about, rewatched. A lot of movies that people just flat out like. So I think next week will be a fun one as we get to look at our top fives. Emily, it sounds like Titanic might be up there. I don't know if you... I, we did not ask you to prep this, so no worries if nothing else comes to mind. But anything else from that year that stands out to you that you're a fan of? Um, it's the movie of, like, Hercules and also uh, L.A. Confidential. Goodwill Hunting came out that year. Boogie Nights came out that year. Um, I know that Cube came out that year. <laughs> Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers <laughs> came out that year. I think when it comes to the 90s, 97, aside from Titanic, probably isn't like a, a, like a big year for me movie-wise. But I, I think Goodwill Hunting's all right, but it's I wouldn't put it very high. Goodwill Hunting. 90s. It's fine. <laughs> no love for Men in Black. Goodwill Hunting. Man, Emily's I'm sorry, Men in Black is just... I don't know why. I was just like, I don't want to be watching this. I want to turn it off. This is so <laughs> boring to me for some reason. Oh, man. Man. Harsh. <laughs> uh, let's let's give the let's give the clue for this week. That's right. So, listeners, as you know, as we get to wrapping up the show here, we are running a contest right now here on Cinema Drip. Christian and I are going to get you a movie ticket. Uh, which, yes, we will literally Venmo you real U.S. dollars to reimburse you for a trip to the movies if you enter this contest and win. So, would love to know your thoughts. And we finally got into the third episode here so we're going to start checking the entries and and you know seeing who gets in so though uh, those or i should say we've been giving clues for the past few weeks christian gave a clue on the men in black episode a different clue on the liar liar episode and now he'll give you the third clue which is this is a horror movie 
Ooh, it's a horror movie. So, you've now gotten all three clues, and I will not repeat them to you. Go listen to our episodes and find out. And, of course, the first person to email us in the correct answer, which is just the title of the movie. Feel free to write more if you'd like in your email. But the title of the movie, with those three corresponding clues, will be the winner of our contest this month. So, if you would like a trip to the movies sponsored by the Cinema Drip Podcast, do send us an email, which is, of course, cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And Christian, that is our show. Wow, we finally made it. Emily, thank you so much for being here. It was great to have you back. Anywhere or anything that you'd like to plug here on the show, I always ask you this question, anything that you've got going on or your social medias, anything at all that you'd like to share with the listeners? Honestly, right now, no, I have too much going on in my personal life to have anything to share on public platforms, so sorry. <laughs> there you go. It's all good. So nothing from Emily, but uh, if you enjoyed her her presence on this episode, which, how could you not? She has also been uh, appeared, she has appeared on previous streaming recommendations episodes that we've done. Some about horror, some about romantic movies. It's been a good time. So go listen to some of our older episodes. We've enjoyed having Emily on. Thank you again for being here. Of course, there are now a few things that you can do, listener, to support the show. You can, of course, subscribe as well as leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, helps us reach new listeners on those platforms, and it brings a warm smile to our hearts as we see the numbers on Podbean grow. So please do subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to read those five-star reviews here live on the show, uh, one of which was left by Emily's grandma. Just makes me super happy every time I see it. (laughs) So thank you again. (laughs) (laughs) that is true she she supports me you know there you go Uh, You also can, of course, send feedback to our email, which again is cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Hopefully you have a guess for the contest we're running this month, but if you have a movie that you'd like us to cover on the show, or you have an idea for a blend of the month, or you'd like to make your case for why Christian and I and Emily, Christian, Emily and I are all wrong about Titanic and it's trash, you can let us know by sending us an email. We love to read listener emails here on the show. So go ahead and send that to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram, or you can follow us both on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. I'm a little behind because I'm always behind on my Letterboxd reviews, so you might get a burst from me sometime soon. You never know when I'm just going to log in, write four or five reviews, and then log back off, never to be seen or heard from again. But Christian, any fun Letterboxd activity from you recently, or are you just uh, logging movies to get back with them later? I, I just log movies right now. It's too much. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> the the, the, the letterbox pre- uh, pressure can be heavy, yes. But, of course, listeners, thank you so much for following along. Anything you do to support the show, we greatly appreciate. Uh, so please send us an email, follow us on social media, subscribe. We appreciate you. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast. <laughs>